Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. We bring you leaders acting on their environmental values because too many people told me, I want to act, but if others don't, then what I do won't matter. We're here to make it obvious that you're not alone. You're part of a global community, a majority. Also, too many people told me, doing small things doesn't make enough of a difference and big things take too much work. Action matters more than the size you start with. You'll hear how action motivates guests from small things to doing big things. You won't find guilt, blame, doom, gloom, or telling people what to do. You will find leading without relying on authority, which brings what I found missing from acting on environmental values. Joy, discovery, growth, community, meaning, purpose, value, sharing. With global demand for environmental action, I bet you'll see that acting on your values doesn't distract from your life and career. Follow in these leaders' footsteps, and beyond enjoying the environment, I bet you'll see promotions, raises, more loyalty and trust in your relationships, and more. Jordan Harbinger is one of the world masters of practicing and teaching social and emotional skills. We start by talking about the stew that I just made him, uh, how I've been doing open mic stand-up. We're actually in my kitchen. I've known Jordan for about 10 years, maybe a little more. And when I first met him, he was already doing extremely well. I started his podcast by that point, and he's only taken off since then. If you're going to learn from anybody, learn from Jordan. Come to think of it, we didn't talk about North Korea, which is something he and I spent a couple weeks in North Korea a couple times. In any case, then we really get to him talking, and we get his views on how he improves his life, things that he does, getting coaches, for example, things that he does he says not to bother with because there's a lot of snake oil people out there uh, in the world of personal growth. Then we get into it, into the part about nature. He picks a personal challenge. It's really personal, and he's not waiting to figure out, should I do it perfectly or whatever. He jo- he, you'll hear that he dives in, even on things he doesn't really know about. So let's listen. Welcome to the Leadership and the Environment podcast. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Jordan Harbinger. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, man. I'm full of vegetable stew, thanks to you. So this is a reference to, he, he, I just cooked, he's over my place, and I just cooked one of my famous vegetable stews. Thank, thank you. You're, yeah, of course. I, but things are famous because you tell everyone that it's famous, and they just start to believe that it's famous, and then they come in and they eat it, and it becomes famous. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, you know, I, was, I used to be, how to put it? It might sound like I'm bragging, but I also feel like there's a bit of promotion that's kind of necessary, necessary to make stuff like that happen. Sure. I was scared to do it before, and now I'm comfortable doing it because of the effect that you described. There you go. I'm going to show this with you. I, oh, this will probably come out, but I, someone found some articles that I'd written, and it was like, we have this trade association. We'd love for you to be the keynote speaker at our thing. And it was a big amount of money. And I, was, I thought, I can't do it for that amount of money. I'm not there yet. But it was also something like nine months later. And so I said, all right, I'm going to sign this contract, do this thing nine months from now, use that to give me confidence to do middle steps in between. Right. And so I, I used the thing that I couldn't do to enable me to do stuff to make myself able to do that thing. And then I did it and they were like, great job, we love what you did, we never had anything like it, so it's really great. Yeah, so it's like, okay, step one, throw yourself into the deep end. Yeah, I'm gonna do a keynote for 1,300 people. Oh crap, I got a keynote for 1,300 people yeah. in 10 months. Maybe I should take a speaking class and then go practice a bunch. Yeah, and that forced me to do things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. And yeah, it's kind of, actually, yesterday, I'm gonna post this up. I didn't, I, I wouldn't call this a bucket list thing, but it's something I really wanted to do. I did stand up for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was like me, a microphone, all the lights, and I practiced, and I practiced, like, I said this thing maybe a hundred times, and you get up on stage, and I knew what would happen. It's like the lights are in your face, you can't see anything. I knew everything I'd forget, or I'd forget everything. Yeah. 
but I also knew if I just learn the first couple words and have done it enough times, then the first couple words will just get me doing what I practiced. And so I missed it, like there's a few things that I forgot, but I think it went pretty well. That's great. I yeah. think that's really hard to do. Stand-up is hard. Because it's just an exercise in rejection. You can't really just practice at home. You have to go up and try it because you're required to get audience feedback to work on your material. Yeah, and it's, there's no substitute for it. It's one of the few fields where if, you play, if you're a musician, chances are someone wrote something that you're playing. Right. If you're an actor, you're reading words that someone else wrote. Stand-up is one of the few places where you write yeah. everything yourself. You, you do everything. I think corporate speaking is, is one of the few other places where mm -hmm. it's also the same thing. Yeah, except in corporate speaking, they'll go, yeah, that was good. Don't hire that guy next year. All right, have a good trip. Yeah, but stand-up, they they'll either boo you if it's a tough crowd or they will ignore you and you will not get back up on the stage. And this actually gets to what I, what I wanted to talk to you most about, which is that you teach and you coach people in social, emotional skills and things like that. Mm -hmm. I use the term leadership. Do you use the term leadership? Or Not really. I mean, I, I usually say emotional intelligence or soft skills, although now soft skills is like one of those meaningless, soupy words that doesn't mean anything mm -hmm. are starting to slowly become that type of word, which is a bummer because there's no other term that I know of that is replacing it. It's really missing. There's a, there's a word missing in English yeah. to describe this stuff, like yeah. social dynamics and things like that. And to me, I just, you heard me play the recording that I did of you and your now wife, then fiance, right. speaking on... Um, uh, authenticity. Yeah, speaking on genuineness and authenticity. I was trying to think of the name of the show. Uh, oh. Um, the guy. No, the, the... It was something about proposals or the marriage, some sort of marriage. It was a long time ago. So we'll edit this part out. Yeah. <laughs> So you were on this podcast and she was talking, your, your now wife was talking about meeting you and she knew that you taught this stuff. Mm -hmm. And the guy doing the interview asked, maybe he was just going to use technique on you as if that implied it was going to be not you. Right. And I think people who don't get it think that like reading a script or doing what other people say, practicing in rehearsal makes you not genuine and not authentic. And I think I found it to be the opposite. I'm really interested in your views on this because yeah. you've been doing it for a long time. Sure. I mean, I tend to agree with, with your perspective in that all high performers in any area are doing copious amounts of rehearsal, practice in a given skill, and it doesn't make for anything less authentic. In fact, it becomes more authentic because you don't have to think about the mechanics of what you're doing. So people who speak really well or you'll look at a TED Talk with a really good speaker. Not all of them are good speakers, but a lot of them are. You'll look at a TED Talk and people go, well, look at those people's, their, their movements and everything. This isn't all rehearsed. Yes, it is. It's rehearsed so much that it looks natural. And maybe there's like a 10% ad lib factor in with the way that they're moving. Maybe they don't go, and then I step over here and I look that way and I point my left hand out to the audience and I step over to the right and do the same thing on the right. Maybe, maybe they just kind of do left, right, or right, left, and it doesn't matter. But that's still rehearsed. It's still planned. You can tell when somebody's not rehearsed enough because it looks more mechanical, not because it looks over-rehearsed. Over-rehearsed actually just means under-rehearsed. Yeah. yeah, okay, so the reason I'm asking is because I presume that a lot of people listening to this, there's the word leadership is in the title, so they want to prove as leaders. Mm -hmm. Can you just do it on your own? I mean, me start, I have a... I have a an exercise that I give my students called the authentic voice exercise, and it helps you develop an authentic voice. And then I found that the more public I go, the more authentic, either, either you have to put on a total persona and fake it, 
or you just got to be yourself. But something in between, it's like, I feel like you get caught up trying to make up stuff on it. It doesn't work. Yeah, I could see that. When you say authentic voice, do you mean literally an authentic voice or a like brand voice? To, to, to be, to sound on the outside more like you sound on the inside. Sure. Yeah. And it, um, that's an interesting question. I haven't, I haven't tried to explain it, <laughs> but I can tell you that the effect on the students is afterwards. They're like, I started talking, I started saying stuff that I never thought to say before. And then people started saying back to me stuff that I'd never heard from them before, even when it was people I've known for a long time. And they really like it. And I point out to them, oh, well, that's leadership. You, by being authentic, you, by not being so guarded, enable them to feel not so guarded and they can lower their protections as well. I totally agree with that. And what we would, at, at my company, Advanced Human Dynamics, which is probably in some ways similar to what you're doing, what we call that is authentic vulnerability. And you find, especially in places like LA where there's all these like new agey things going on, you find a lot of what we call like strategic vulnerability. So without throwing anyone under the bus, because this is a well-known author, he has these dinners that are like networking dinners or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you'll go to this thing and it's supposed to be all these great people. And then the host will say something like, everyone say what the worst thing you're dealing with right now, or like the thing you're most afraid of right now. And the problem is his answer is this BS rehearsed thing that he's used like 80 yeah. times. That's like making him sound better. You can just tell it's an affectation to the max. It's, you know, I've sold millions of copies of my book. Is this my peak? What more do I have to offer to the world? That's what keeps <laughs> me up at night. And it's like, no, it doesn't. You're saying that for a reason. And then everybody goes in line and goes, Oh yeah, this thing's happening in my life and da, da, da. And then it, I remember when I was at this dinner, I go, you know, I, this is actually just super uncomfortable for me. I don't really want to share anything right now. And at the end, I thought I was going to get lambasted, right? At the end of the meal, everyone's like, dude, I didn't know that was an option. I totally would have done that. Now I'm talking about my mom's cancer, super awkward, uncomfortable, downer. And another person's like, I just made mine up because I don't have anything to share. And I was like, yeah. So we all just built a wall in this dinner where we could have just been normal people mm -hmm. and it would have worked a million times better. So the strategic vulnerability is when I go, I'm going to tell Josh about this thing I'm struggling with to get him to open up about this thing he's struggling with. It doesn't really work because one of us or both of us just puts up a wall or a facade and then we have to like lean into that mm -hmm. because we said it and now we're committed to it. Whereas authentic vulnerability could be like, you know, I hate sharing stuff like this. I always feel like I just have nothing good or interesting to say and I'm just going to bore everyone. That's true and better, but you can't go, all right, tell me this thing that you're afraid of right now to get everyone else's floodgates to open up. It'll work for a second, but then everyone just kind of recoils. And if you do strike gold and get someone to open up about something that's really vulnerable for them, and then they regret it because it's just this strategic structure, mm -hmm. they often will reel back in. It's like this buyer's remorse where they're like, oh crap, I really didn't want to share that with the group. Now I feel awkward and I want to go home. Something I wanted to ask you is to learn this stuff. The reason I mentioned going into bigger, having bigger audiences forced more authenticity is can, I think you answered this actually, can you do it? Do you need like a big platform? Do you need a teacher or can you practice on your own and develop it on your own? Um, I mean, well, let's see. I suppose you could practice anything on your own, but I always get coaches for everything because, well, first of all, I love when people go, oh, you know, I listened to the Jordan Harbinger show and it's just, it's great. You're so talented. And I'm like, no, that's not true at all. I've probably zero or even less than a normal person's level of natural talent when it comes to speaking mm -hmm. in front of groups, into microphones, interviews, 
definitely nothing special. What the, the difference is, I have a voice coach, I have a broadcasting coach, I have a production coach, I have an interview coach, and I have hired these people for years from news outlets and journalism schools and acting schools to teach me these little subsets and give me feedback on everything. And then my producer gives me feedback and my wife gives me feedback and my team gives me feedback. My freaking mom will listen to the show and give me feedback. And then I spent years discarding things that I think are not valid feedback or, or not constructive and then take the rest and try to develop internal processes to practice these things. That's why stuff sounds good because you don't see the scaffolding that's been around it for a decade and change. Okay, so now listeners are going to want to know, and when I say listeners, I mean me. Yeah, <laughs> and, and your mom. Isn't this, isn't this like hard to find them? Isn't it expensive? Yes, isn't it and yes. consuming? Yeah, but it's also the most important thing you can do. So people go, man, you do, you do three shows a week? Well, I only do one. Well, okay, I want to do three shows a week because I want to produce that much content. Well, couldn't you just put do less work and do one and have the same amount of listeners? Well, Maybe. I don't know. That's not the point, though. It's like, I want to deliver more value. Yeah, it's expensive. It's really expensive. So what's more important to you? Being kind of okay at this thing that you dedicated your life to? Or do you want to be like the best at it? Well, if you want to be the best at it, you have to hire really expensive people who are also really good at it because that's what their time is worth. And they're going to teach you things that are going to cut years off your learning curve. Yes, it's expensive. Yes, it's hard to find. I had to track down this uh, Columbia journalism professor who is a CNN anchor and pay him just obscene amounts of money so that he would just even pay attention to what I was offering or what I wanted to get from him and then schedule the appointment and he's busy because he's traveling and he's doing coverage and it's like the last priority that this guy has but finally I convinced him that I was serious and hired him as a coach you know and getting a vocal coach and doing that every week for a really long time mm -hmm. and then getting all these production coaches and hiring consultants. Yeah, it's expensive. They're hard to find, but I don't know. There's some saying like that everything, nothing easy or nothing easy is ever worth doing or nothing, nothing, nothing worth doing is ever easy. easy. Yeah. That's probably more <laughs> like it. Nothing worth doing is ever easy. So yeah, it's tough, but it's, it's kind of like going, Oh man, being fit is so hard. You know, you have to go to the gym, you have to eat right. You have to buy high quality food. Well, yeah, that's what you have to do. Actually, now we've been talking leadership stuff. I, I'm gonna it, it, maybe this is a big shift, but I want to talk about environment, right? sure. leadership and environment. When you think environment, what does it mean to you? Is, is it something that you're big about? I think that it it makes sense to focus on our natural environment just as well, because obviously we've evolved to survive and live and thrive in that type of environment. And so when you try to change that too much to tweak it, you're really not doing yourself any favors. And so when you look at things like pollution, I mean, I came out of the subway today to come here. And some, I say a-hole, but really just some normal person had just left their car idling for probably like half an hour mm -hmm. because they were loading it. And I thought, and I inhaled this cloud of gross gas fumes that was already seeping down into the subway. And I just thought, you know, how different would this whole city be if all the cars were electric? You know, you'd have a power plant somewhere up in northern the Bronx or Queens or something like that that's from 1950 and it's generating the electricity and there'd be charging stations and stuff like that. But imagine, just imagine how different everything would be. Or we were just talking about a highway and I don't know if you're going to edit out that part, but if you will, imagine if you just didn't need that because people rode the freaking train, walked and biked everywhere. You could fit so many more bikes on these roads if you didn't have taxi drivers driving 90 miles an hour to try to get from Wall Street to Midtown for a meeting, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Now they're all Uber drivers. Now they're all Uber drivers. Yeah. But it would be completely different. And so that stuff is important because when I go to other countries where they've actually accomplished things like that or 
they have bike area or pedestrian only areas. It's just a lot nicer. People are healthier. They're happier. And that kind of quality of life difference is huge, should be hugely important to pretty much everyone. Are you enjoying meeting this guest? Are you thinking about what you care about? I recommend making it active. Think about what you could do, not just analyze and plan, not do what others tell you to, but to live by your values. You'll enjoy your results. People will follow you more than you think, and you'll impact more than you expect. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast for examples of what others have done. The reason for this podcast is for me having realized that I like when I've made those changes. Like it makes my life better. Mm-hmm. Even, in, even in a world where there's still the taxi is going really fast, I still prefer walking places and so forth. Uh, and so what I ask people, if you're up for this, and this is voluntary if you're yeah. up for it, is to find something to live by the values that you're talking about. Uh, but here's, here's some things that I put. I've, I, I give people certain constraints and certain loosenings. Okay. So that one is that you don't have to solve all the world's problems all by yourself okay. overnight. That's good. Uh, but it has to be something that you're not already doing and something that is, it can't be you telling other people what to do. Okay. Yeah. You're changing something yourself. And, and there has to be some measurable difference that, so it can't be, I raise my awareness or I right, raise right. my uh, knowledge. So it has to be some behavioral change that makes mm. that other people could measure something. And it can be as, as small or big as you want. It can be long or short. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what, because we're pretty, inv- I mean, I live in California and Silicon Valley, and it's like a competition to who can be like low carbon footprint or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and I'll have to think about what I can do. But I, I agree with your core point, which is when you try things, you like the changes. So for example, I got an electric car and I thought, oh, well, all right, this is a big change, but not that big of a change. But then it was like, well, wait, this car is more expensive. Maybe I'll just share a car with my wife. Oh my God, how am I going to share a car? What if we need to go somewhere at the same time? We're going to have to use Uber all the time. It's going to be more expensive. There, I can count on one hand the number of Ubers I've had to take because my wife was taking the car somewhere mm-hmm. in the history of us sharing a car, which has been, I think, four plus or five years now. Mm-hmm. I've had to use an Uber like twice. Because, or three times mm-hmm. because she had the car and I needed to get somewhere in a car. So compared to having two cars, 0% of right. the cost. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, the, in having two cars, I would, I will never have two cars again. There's no reason to ever have another car. I don't understand why I would, there's nothing that would compel me to buy another car unless I had teenagers in the house that were driving and they were all over the place all the time. Maybe they would get a car, mm-hmm. but there would be a parent's car and there would be a kid car. There would, I'm not going to get a car for myself. I cannot even imagine a situation in which I would need a car and my wife would need her own car. To me, it's not what you do. It's do you do something? Yeah. Because if you do something, then it leads to, like you discovered, turns out I don't need the car. It's very rare, like a few times in, in years. Right. And that lets you take the next step and the next step and the next step. Anyway, so let's go back to sure. anything coming to mind. Because oh, you're also putting out these mindless habits. So there's probably mindless things that you might not be. There's so many. Of, I'm sure that there are. Mindful that's mindless. I'm trying to think of what I do in the morning. Hmm. You know what? I take too long of showers. I should try to limit the amount of time. I should time how long I'm in the shower mm-hmm. and keep it reasonable. But what's a reasonable amount of time? I have no concept of how long I'm in there. I guarantee you it's two to three times probably twice as long as I need to be in there most days. Cause if I'm not shaving, which I also don't necessarily need to do in the shower, mm-hmm. I bet you I'm in there just like, Oh, the water feels really good on my back and mm-hmm. thinking about something. 
So it's completely worthless. Now showers are pretty tough. There, it's a very pleasurable experience. It's really nice. <laughs> it's I I tell myself all the time, yes, this is a long shower, but but I recycle. I do like the moral licensing thing where I'm oh. like, but I share a car with my wife. I you know I I turn the faucet off when I brush my teeth. But you're just wasting gallons of water, hot water, no less. I want to make sure if you're doing it because you think it might help other people, but not yourself, that's probably not going to work very well. But I hear you saying it's more than you think you should. Oh, yeah, it's definitely more than I should. It's, it's just sort of a guilty pleasure. So now when someone comes up with something, I say, can you make it a smart goal? Yeah, so what I'm going to have to do is measure my current shower and go, okay, this is 11 minutes. Oh, I bet, I bet it's longer. Really? And it might even be longer. Actually, I have no concept. It's mindless. I'm mindlessly consuming water mm-hmm. or wasting water. I'm not consuming. I'm not drinking water comes out <laughs> of the shower. And then going, okay, why don't I just cut this in half? And then I'm going to have to figure out, well, in order to do that, well, maybe I have to turn off the shower while I shampoo my hair instead of just letting it run. So maybe I only time when the water's running. So I can sit in the shower as long as I need to, but I just can only have the water running for a certain amount of time. Or maybe I don't even need that. Maybe I can just actually just focus and get it done while the water's running and turn it in or turn it off and figure out what I need to do. Or like maybe when I'm shaving, I do what they did back in the day, which is wipe the razor off in a glass, which is just as easy. A lot of people think you have to have all the answers, but you're saying, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll just figure it out. And that will be a joy. That will be something of like, that will, that's where the mindfulness comes from. You don't get mindful from following other people's instructions. You might. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how long my current showers are. And I think cutting it in half might even be easy. But I'll take, I'll play it by ear. And then if it becomes, if it's really easy to cut it in half, like if it's just too simple, then I'll try to cut it into a third. It might be hard. Maybe, maybe you can only go down to 10%. Yeah, it might be really hard. It's really hard to say because I'm com- I have com- completely no idea at all how much water I'm using, mm-hmm. or even how much time I'm I'm in there. I do remember that when I'm in a, supposedly in a hurry, I still find it hard to get in and out of the shower in ten minutes. But it's not because I'm doing everything really fast. It's because I'm just so used to going. Ah, I can be late for this. This feels really good. Yeah, you can change your values pretty quickly. So do you want to showers? <laughs> we have a choice: North Korea or showers. Oh, North Korea! I remember. God, I remember that we were in a hotel that, like, it, the power went out and oh yeah, the heater into that pool. I don't know. We had like this boiling. I don't know. It was there's a lot of stuff in North Korea. North Korea is a weird place. What can I say? They didn't have hot water, so they gave us this heating element. There. Oh like, yeah. Imagine so putting a curling that. iron yeah into a bucket of water and then plugging it in, and that was how we made hot water. That's how hot water works. And out. it was like it just seemed ridiculously unsafe. Yeah. Although. My mom grew up, spent a few years on a farm, and when she grew up, she grew up with an outhouse. And years later, when she and my stepfather bought a house together, they had to have an outhouse for a while because he was doing all the plumbing himself, and it took a little while. And everyone's like, how can you live with an outhouse? And she's like, that's how I grew up, no big right. deal. And then she would say that they would have a pound of meat each week for six people, of which the father got most of it. Oh, my God. So they were almost vegetarian. And yeah. Dessert was an apple sometimes. And I was also high on myself because I used to eat a lot of Ben and Jerry's and ice cream and stuff. And now I, now the fruit tastes sweeter than the ice cream did. Yeah. And then I think, I still eat a lot of fruit. I, I'm not going to stop eating fruit, I don't think. But she, she got a lot of delight from having half an apple sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that makes the apples taste bad. Yeah, I remember my grandma used to love dates. Mm-hmm. And I thought, these are disgusting. And now I'm like, oh, these are so good. Yeah, you can't so make candy that tastes as good as a date. 
Yeah. It doesn't, it's impossible. It's impossible. They're trying. I guess the best thing you can do is to get it so people don't eat dates and then they think the candy's really Right, yeah, yeah. That's why kids are like, candy, and then you, you give it, but if you look at healthy families, they give their kids fruit and the kid loves the fruit. Doesn't eat gummy bears. Yeah, and I love, oh man, I, I won't take a stop about food. You guys had that, I remember you guys were, yeah, okay. I gotta make sure that my, let me just check this, make sure my wife's not like, where the fuck are you? Oh, it's on airplane. Whoops. Cause we have to be uptown. Or downtown. Sorry. Okay. Well, that'll come through in a second. Should we wrap with some? Uh... Yeah. So I'm gonna, I want to. I'll give you two tips that I give everyone, which I've learned through experience. Is that uh, two things that make it usually pretty hard. Although yours, the shower is like a solo thing, but um, usually the challenges come from when you travel and things aren't under your control. Although I don't think that'll be the case with the shower. Like if people say they're they're going to cut down their meat consumption and mm-hmm. they go to play, sometimes it's really when they travel things get different. Yeah. And the other is other people. Which also, I don't know how much you shower with other people, but even with other people, occasionally, it's hard. So those are things to look. You know, things happen that you can't predict, and it's. I find it useful for people to. Are they gonna say no matter what? I will stick with the plan, or I'll forgive myself every now and then, or figure it out when it happens. But that's something to prepare for. I, I think it's. I find it useful to prepare people for. Things will happen you can't prepare. One day you yeah. wake up, you're like, blah, 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 and you're like, oh, fuck, I just took it. Oops. Oh, darn, I just took like a, a one-hour shower or something like that. <laughs> uh, things like that will happen. I think most of the world says, ah, oh, this is too hard, I can't do it. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's the end of that. Yeah. And then figure out how you can handle that. So Yeah, I mean, if it becomes, well, what I'll probably end up doing is going into the shower, not into the shower, into the bathroom with my phone, setting an alarm that counts down, and when it buzzes... I gotta ideally not have shampoo in my hair. Mm-hmm. If I do, I will immediately wash all of it off and then go and, you know, take, turn the shower off. And if I haven't shaven yet, well, I guess I'm shaving with the sink, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with not leaving the water running, you know, trying to figure out how to do that. But you gotta avoid what my, my friend's wife, who's a dietitian, calls the what the hell rule. And the what the hell rule is when you go somewhere and they are serving fries and there's no other option. You have to eat the fries and you're starving, so you eat the fries. And then you go out to dinner and you could order a salad, but what the hell? You had fries for lunch, so just get a pizza because that's what sounds good to you. You have to avoid that. Where like, oh crap, I took an hour long shower because it was mindless. Or, oh, I don't know where my phone was downstairs, so I tried to time it and I ended up taking a 20 minute shower. I'll screw this. This is too hard. I'm just going to not bother with it anymore. You just have to give yourself permission to fail occasionally and not just fail when you want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and say, oh, I felt so. I might as well. Sure. Nothing's Yeah, why build the habit out of this? It's too hard. Or why build the habit out of this? Everyone else is doing it. Or why build the habit out of this? I keep screwing it up. So you talk about your friend's wife, but you're also speaking from experience. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, she called, she just came up with the what the hell rule, which is what she tells her clients not to fall prey to. You and know? It's also, I read some statistic that a, a significant percentage of casinos' earnings. Are the last bet? Oh wow! Like I'm, uh, I'm gonna leave, I'll just put it all down on red. And just, yeah. You know, oh, I've got four hundred dollars left on my flight's leaving, so I'm just gonna blow it all right yeah. now. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So, um, any last words for uh, before wrapping up? Any anything to to the listeners that comes up? I would say that one thing that I've learned throughout eleven years of interviewing some of the most amazing people around is that 
everybody kind of starts with the same raw material. I mean, sure, like Shaq's tall and athletic, right? But we all kind of start with the same raw material mindset stuff. And there's plenty of people that grew up as kids watching six hours of TV, eating Fritos for dinner that are now world-class at what they do. One tiny habit at a time. So it's never too late to sit around and go, what can I shave off of my shower time? Or what sort of habit can I replace television with? And that's something that I've taken great pleasure out of doing over the last 10 plus years is building up the Jordan Harbinger show in a way that makes it what I think hope is great, but also building myself up in a way that I hope is also great. Like, like I said, I weigh what I weigh now. What, what I weigh now, I weighed in high school. That's highly unusual for somebody who's 38 years old. I wasn't fat between then. In fact, I thought I was in decent shape. I just wasn't because I was the culmination of all these bad habits. And I went, if I lost X pounds, if I lost 30 pounds, I'd look like a cancer patient. I remember saying that when my doctor told me that I was slightly overweight. I was like, that's completely ridiculous. 30 pounds, that's so much. Slight tweaks in habit, taking phone calls outside while walking and not ordering fried chicken when I can order a salad to do the same thing. That culminated in 35 pound loss. It was not something I had to focus on. It just, it quote unquote just happened. Much like other people who find themselves overweight, it just happened. So habits can go in both directions. And I think people tend to look at bad habits as the only thing that can happen mindlessly, but you can actually mindlessly get into really good shape too. And I think that's an important realization. Can you apply this also to, um, someone might be listening to this saying, you taking small showers, we got a planet so heating, that doesn't make a difference. Like, what, you're just kidding yourself. Yeah, but, um, the reason that they have recycling in many states or many cities and locales is because people collectively didn't decide we all need recycling. It was because one family was like, oh, this is, we're wasting a lot of stuff. And the kids said, I don't want to do this. I want to recycle this or I don't want to buy styrofoam cups when we can just reuse other ones. And slowly over time, people went, why the hell don't we recycle? This is ridiculous. Of course we need to do this. And then they make a law out of it. They generally don't make a law and go, all right, everybody has to do this now and then everyone groans and reluctantly complies. It's usually the other way around. Maybe things like the plastic bag law in California are different, where you just kind of can't do those things, but mostly it's a reflection of values that you build individually. You don't just sit around and go, all right, we had a meeting and everyone decided now that gay marriage is okay. People just decided to stop giving gay people a bunch of crap for partnering up, and then it became law in a lot of different places, right? Yeah. I'm going to add, tell me if this is consistent with this, that the people who started off end up happier. Like, they're the ones who win, not win in the sense of competitive, but, like, the early people who took the risks, they, they're the leaders. Yeah, they're leading the movement in, in a way. There's a little sense of sort of being on the right side of history, I would think, is also a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're not holier than thou about it, but you show other people why it benefits them to do these things, you become an influencer in your own way instead of just a hipster that economizes on water. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. <laughs> well, well, thank you very much. much. After, After we finish, then we'll schedule when you'll be yeah. inside, if, you're, if you're willing to be I'm willing, yeah, sure. So I'll be interested to hear about us. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. I'm going to definitely have to figure out the shaving thing. I take forever when I do that. But I think it's definitely doable. I know now that I'm wasting tons of time in there and therefore tons of water. So I don't think it's going to be impossible by any stretch. It's just something I need to actually think about for more than five seconds. So now we have, now you have some 
this is like a probably technique of leaving always leaving one more. Yeah, yep, leave one more. Hearing Jordan just take off with his challenge reminds me of my starting my first challenge of the not eating packaged food. I did what school had taught me to for most of my life, which was to analyze and plan and figure out how to do it perfectly. It's what school taught me, but totally ineffective because it took me six months of planning and analyzing before I realized this wasn't going anywhere and I just had to start. And Jordan does the opposite. And I think this is something to, we can all learn from, certainly me. He doesn't know how long his showers are. He doesn't, need, he doesn't have all this information. He doesn't need it to get started. He starts the challenge, no delay. I'm still learning how to do this. I love hearing that people do this so, so effectively. As a podcaster, Jordan is as natural on the microphone as anyone. A lot of people who are new to this, probably me, they speak very generally. I think by speaking generally, they think that they're gonna reach more people by being very general. Jordan does the opposite. He shares details about his life being vulnerable, and I think people connect with that more. I think in storytelling and sharing stuff about yourself, that kind of detail, I gotta learn how to do that more. I think of Jordan all the time when I'm preparing for a podcast interview because sometimes I'm interviewing an author, I gotta read the book cover to cover because that's what Jordan does and I think that's just one of the details that gets him the depth, the friendliness, the openness in the conversations that he has with his guests. That kind of integrity, I think that's fundamental for leadership, I think it's fundamental for a great life. So I'm looking forward to hearing how that translates into a challenge. Does hearing leaders acting on their values make you think of yours? Nothing will make you feel better than acting on them. Value means better. Acting on your values means improving your life. Committing publicly helps many people and builds community too. If you want, click on Commit to a Personal Challenge to share what you do with this community. You'll be a leader among leaders. We're more than a podcast. We're a movement to share how acting on environmental values means fun, joy, growth, and so on, not sacrifice or deprivation. If you want to join or help, contact me at joshatspodak.net or at joshuaspodak.com slash podcast. You'll grow as a leader, you'll enjoy yourself, and the world and your communities will thank you for it. Thank you.